0: Well, good morning. Please have a seat. My name is Janice Wood. I'm one of the staff pastors here, and uh, I'm just so pleased to be able to bring the next message in our series. But wasn't worship something this morning, right? Um, Wow. We could just kind of quit and go home right here, but I think that God has some more to tell us yet today. We are in the middle of a series on the book of James, and last week we learned about living faith, living faith that is evidenced by the deeds that we do, and today we're going to go a little further as James explains why we do the kinds of things that we do. I don't know about you, but have any of you struggled with living a little below the standard that you set for yourself? Do you, do you, like, get up on a morning and make a plan that you're going to conquer this day, you're going to behave yourself, you're not going to fall prey to the same irritations and struggles that you had yesterday, but today you're going to rise above and you're going to do better, and by noon you have already blown it. And, and you struggle, and you're like, I, what, what is this? Why can I not, you know, make this work? Good intentions just never seem to be enough. Well, I want you to know that the Apostle Paul, we're going to get into James, but the Apostle Paul talks about this in his letter to the Romans, and he says it this way. For I know the, that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil that I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. This I keep on doing. What he is describing right here is a battle. He is describing a battle within. So if you need a title for this morning, if you're taking notes, I I trust that you do, and I hope that you do. Pull out your devices or something to write on. Those of you online, I hope you have the opportunity to take notes as well. We're going to call this the battle within because that's what James is describing, in this next section that we're going to be uh, talking about. So if you, if you struggle with that, you are in good company. So did the Apostle Paul. So did James. And uh, this is what we're going to do this morning. We've got, we've got some ground to cover. So I'm going to read a rather uh, decent-sized passage of James, and then we're going to unpack it a little bit. Okay, so if you're following along, James chapter 3 is where we're going to start, and we'll get into chapter 4 a little bit. Here we go. Starting in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you, Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny it. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit. Impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Chapter 4. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures." You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That, that's the redemption right there. He gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. All right, that's a mouthful. That's a, that's, a, that's a lot, and uh, we're probably not going to do justice to all of it, but the good news is all of our small groups are studying this, and so anything we don't cover here, you can chew on a little more deeply in your small groups. I encourage you to get involved in those. James starts this, this section of his letter by giving us the motive for why we do certain kinds of behavior, right? Who is wise and understanding? Um, let them show up by good deeds, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom, Deeds that come from wisdom. All of our behavior is driven by some kind of wisdom. Now, you might be saying, well, I disagree. I saw some behavior this morning that I'm pretty sure was not driven by wisdom. (laughs) It might have been driven by stupidity. It might have been driven by anger. It might have been driven by a lot of other things, but but surely not wisdom. You know, um, all my life I, since I was a little girl and people for, first began to pose, What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to accomplish when you grow up? I remember thinking, I want to be wise when I grow up. I know it's a weird thing for a, a child to think about, but I wanted to be wise because I had seen wise people and I had admired them. I had admired their life, and I thought, That's, the, that's kind of where I want to be someday. I would love to, to have wisdom. But here's what wisdom isn't wisdom is not an accumulation of knowledge or intelligence or a bitter a bigger IQ don't, don't get those things confused, right? I mean, in, intelligence is a little bit like the thing that you get when God was handing out athleticism, creativity, intelligence, you can do math. What, you know what I mean? Those sorts of things, right? These are these are characteristics that you may have. But, but God never invites us to ask for more intelligence. He never invites us to ask for more athleticism, although some of us would like that. He, he invites us, and James says, if you, if you lack wisdom, ask from God. Ask God to give you more wisdom. See, you know, a wise person may not be intelligent by intellectual standards, right? Because a, a singularly, a singularly um, intelligent person may, be, may sit there on a chair and be so smart and never do a licking thing. You can be so smart and never be wise. So wisdom doesn't have anything to do with being smart. You don't have to be smart to be wise. Wisdom is measured by your decisions. Wisdom is always measured by your decisions. Now, if you have children, this is, this is good news, right? Because we would all like to have smart kids. And given the educational guffaws that we're dealing with right now during COVID, you were all worried about that, right? Are my kids going to be smart? Are they going to be blithering idiots that are never going to get anywhere? And you know what? We're all going to get through it. We're, we're going to get through it. It's all going to be okay. I believe that we will catch up with what's happening. You don't need your kids to be smart. You need them to be wise, you need them to make wise decisions. They really Smart really scores pretty low on this. But wisdom is something that you would like your kids to have. Number one, wisdom is a matter of decision-making. Wisdom is a matter of decision making, and according to James, it is driven by an earthly focus or a heavenly focus. It is driven by earthly values or it is driven by heavenly values. These are your only two choices. He gives us a very binary world in this particular chapter of what of what he's talking about, and this is how he describes them. Okay, I'm going to reread this again, and then we're going to make a, a chart. Okay. All right, if you harbor bitter envy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. This wisdom is not from heaven, it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So, if you're keeping score at home, this is what it looks like, right? Going through the book of James is a little bit like diagramming sentences for those of us who go up back in the day when we did that, right? And kind of had to diagram it all out, all right? So, here's a nice list earthly wisdom, bitter envy. Selfish ambition, earthly focused, um, unspiritual, demonic. And, and don't get freaked out by that term. The word demonic doesn't mean that you have a demon in you doing something. It means that your behavior when you're following earthly wisdom is the behavior that demons would follow. It's, it's in line with that. That's what that means. It's not, they're not calling you demon-possessed. Disorder, because disorder goes along with all of these, and evil. Every evil practice goes along with that, right? And then on the other side, we have this list of heavenly wisdom, right? And he talks about that coming down and looking like this. Peace-loving, considerate, heavenly wisdom, submissive. Did I miss that one? I better better not watch up there. Peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, full of good fruit, impartial, and sincere, now, I can't sit, set those side by side for you, but if you've got that list, which one do you want? This is such an easy choice, isn't it? Such an easy choice. Can we just pick the, the obvious one, you know, to make good decisions every day and to stay peace loving? It's so easy, Ex- except it's not except it's not. And so James decides, in order to illustrate his, um, his idea about the fact that we're choosing every day whether we're going to be reaching from earthly wisdom or whether we're reaching from heavenly wisdom, and he gives us a scenario, and he asks us a rhetorical question. He asks his readers this rhetorical question, James 4, 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? You want to know what kind of wisdom you're living under? How do you fight? How is it that you fight? Well, this is easy too, right? How, how easy is this? What is it that makes us crazy with one another? How about let's start at the beginning of 2020? It's been a rough year, hasn't it, friends? It's been a rough year. And we have had opinions about everything. Talk about the things that cause quarrels and arguments and fights among people. And let's just see if I hit a few that, you know, snag your buttons, all right? Believe it or not, at the beginning of 2020, we were sitting under the impeachment of a sitting president. Can you believe that was 2020? I mean, it's hard to believe. Who, who even remembers that? I don't even remember that, but it's rather historic, frankly. So, you know, mark that down on your calendars. Whether, believe it or not, there were wildfires out of control at the beginning of the year in Australia. We didn't know what was going to happen there. People had opinions about that. Murder hornets. Remember murder hornets? I remember saying, man, I just wish we had another murder hornet situation to take some headlines away, and then COVID-19. I didn't want that. COVID-19, that that encompasses too much to really cover, but we'll get down to a little bit. Racial tensions over police police brutality. Mass, everybody had an opinion about that. Talk about quarrels and fights. In-person church services. Should we meet? Should we not meet? Should we meet online? Should we meet in the parking lot? Should we meet in the river? I don't know. We had so many, so many ideas about that. Vaccines. People still have opinions about that. Mail-in ballots. Folks are fussing about this. In-person school or virtual or whatever, right? The election and now a Supreme Court justice. I mean, I don't know how many more things we've got to fight about, but I am, I'm convinced of this. There will be something new next week. There will be something new that we will have to quarrel about and fight about even as Christian people. James was writing to believers. He's not writing to people who don't love Jesus. He is writing to believers, and he's going, come on. And, folks, those are just the things that I could remember without really, you know, looking too deeply at stuff. I'm telling you, you only have so much energy to pour into each new outrage that we have. So this is my slogan for 2020, pace your outrage. Just pace yourself. You only have so much energy. You only have so much, you know, what do they call it, a column space if you're a newspaper. You know, there's only so much you can go on the front page, friends. So, there, you know, you have to pace yourself. You know, during this whole uh, pandemic and now that school's a little out of whack, I've seen my grandchildren a lot more than I usually do. And uh, so I've been witnessing a lot more of their, their quarrels and fights. Let's stay with the scripture. A little more of their quarrels and fights. And usually my clue that we're having a quarrel or fight is, is the weeping and gnashing of teeth from the other room. Right? I hear that and, I'm, and, and then I'm just, I don't even go. I'm just like, what happened? And they come out and it's generally one of two things. Generally one of two things. Somebody hit me touched me whatever somebody hit me or somebody looked at me funny it's one of those two things somebody hit so you know somebody has either you know or a retaliatory swing or some manner of rolling the eyes smirking or glaring right it's very disturbing some manner of disrespect has been noted from the other folks i mean that pretty much sums up all of our fusses these days doesn't it some manner of disrespect has been noted in someone else. They either passively, aggressively said something, or they directly said something, or they rolled their eyes, or they posted, or they did whatever. I mean, this is, this is what we're doing. We're just smirking at each other, disrespecting each other's opinions. And it made me think of this childhood game. How many of you remember the game Red Rover? I don't know if people play Red Rover anymore. I decided to look it up. Red Rover is an ancient, ancient game. I kind of like history, so I was looking into this. An ancient game. As a matter of fact, there's different uh, views on where it actually originated. It might have had something to do with uh, ferrying people on pirate ships. I thought that was intriguing. But I think the most believable one is that it was uh, a game made up by young English children um, to taunt the Viking intruders. Isn't that exciting? So you're, you're really out there playing a Viking game. But here's how Red Rover goes, right? You get, If you've never played this, you're, the children on the playground split up into two teams, usually fairly even teams, and, uh, and they pace themselves away from each other by, you know, 20 feet, 20 yards, I don't know how long, how far, and, and they link arms and they chant, Red Rover, Red Rover, please send Karen over. I don't know. And then Karen has to run at them full blast and try to get through right? I actually know somebody who broke an arm doing that, but whatever, right? I have determined that most of our social discourse has turned into a ding-dong game of Red Rover, where we are linking arms with people who agree with us and just daring somebody to come at us. That's, it's kind of what, that is the way we're fighting and quarreling in these days. And, and it's, it's amazing that we're getting all caught up in these things. And I thought, well, what about in James's day? Are people really fussed about the same kind of things? This is what one scholar says, about what James was writing about in the context of his day. He says that James is referring to the contentions. When he says fights and quarrels, he's referring to the contentions in which his readers were in great danger of participating by being drawn into their controversies and partaking in the spirit of strife which existed among their countrymen. Did you catch that? He's talking about Jewish believers who have converted to Christianity who were in danger of getting drawn into the controversies and partaking in the spirit of strife which existed among their countrymen. And he's saying, what is causing this? Why in the world are you getting so involved in it? Because according to James, our fights actually reveal our earthly or our heavenly focus. The kind of fights we have and the way we fight, our fights reveal this. He says, "Don't they come from the battle, from the desires that battle within you? There's something in here that is not settled, which makes you fight in the way that you fight. Whatever it is, the way that you quarrel, you desire but you don't have, so you kill. You covet but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you're not asking God, and when you do ask, you ask with wrong motives, so that you can spend it on yourself. Do you not know that?" Friendship with the world means enmity against God. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Folks, the things that I just mentioned, all of the 2020 situations that we have just mentioned are external. These are outside forces that make us uncomfortable in some form or fashion. Maybe they mess with our sense of justice, but they are things that have happened outside of us. And James points out that the battle is really within. Our fights are merely the foam at the top of a drink. And the stout stuff is really below the surface, covered in these bubbles. And he's talking about that part, that inner struggle that's there. And it is our friendship with the world that stirs up this bitter envy, this bitter envy and selfish ambition. And I'm like, well, what are all those things? You know, I don't feel really bitterly envious of anything. And what's the selfish ambition? It really boils down to this, I believe. Envy, coveting, and unmet desires mean I don't have enough. What I, what I have is not enough. Selfish ambition means I can do it myself. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take things on, right? We want what we don't have, and we will do anything to get it. We're not going to wait on God's timing anymore, and since I don't have it, enough of it, I'm going to work on it myself. That's my ambition, and, and I'm going to fight somebody to get it. All of this is self-effort. All of this is self-gratification. James is like, guys, did you even ever think to ask God about the stuff you're wanting? Have you ever even thought about doing that? What in the world has gotten you so worked up? Have you thought to ask God for it? Do you want, if if you don't want mail-in ballots this year, have you asked God about that? Or have you just told all your friends? And if you have asked God for that and it didn't happen, why did you really want that in the first place? Right? Was it just to make your life easier in some fashion or to get what you wanted to happen. Right? So, so James is saying, this is what's going on. And then if you add up envy, and now I'm doing math with you. Now, if we add up envy and selfish ambition, I don't have enough and I can get it myself. I am convinced that you get this discontentment. I think what he's really talking about that this battle within is really discontentment. That's what's driving envy. That's what's driving selfish ambition, you know, is that we're, we're not content with what we're doing right here. We want more. So here is the message of earthly wisdom. More is better. More is better. That is what the world is selling us on every level and every place. More than I currently have, more than you currently have because I want to get past you. And, in fact, envy and selfish ambition is always dependent on someone else. Right? I need someone else. I, you know, I don't even know what I lack until I see it. How many of you have stores where you go without any real, you know, plan? You're, you're browsing. You know, they say, well, what did you want here? Well, I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. But I'll know. You know, you're cruising around Lowe's. I don't know what I need, but I'm sure it'll pop off the shelf at me, and I'll need it But you know, take it home. I mean, all of us have that sort of thing. And, and it was just like well, there's got to be more. Some, some place that lets us know what it is that we need that we don't have enough of. Um, I, we did a mission trip down to Mexico, and I remember a pastor's wife down there who was living on such a low standard, just like five miles across the border, and we stayed on the Texas side, and, you know, we were right next to Target every night, and then we'd drive over, and they were living, she and her husband were very happy people living in a one-room shack i would call it they had a, a beat-up van out front that served as their storage container like a, a storage shed and uh, they had one little child and and i'll never forget how hospitable she was she um, wanted to share some peaches with us and she had a can of peaches and she did not even have a manual can opener not electric one not even a manual one so she took a knife and and i was like impressed i don't think that was good for the knife but she opened her can and i'm like I am buying this woman a can opener at Target when we go, you know, we're coming back tomorrow. I mean, this is ridiculous that you don't even have. And she seemed so happy. And, and one of the, uh, the elders that was with us said, you know, man, what a woman to be so happy in those conditions. And I thought about it a little bit. And, you know, and I, and I, don't, I don't think I'm arrogant in thinking this. I thought, you know, if that's all I had and that's the neighborhood I lived in, I think I'd be happy too. She had just as much as everybody else in her street. She didn't have any more. She didn't have any less. There's something about that comparison thing that was there. And, and so when we get to comparing ourselves with people living above us or below us or whatever, there, there's this discontentment. Envy has something to do with the people around us. And so we dream and we plot and we obsess and we plan on how to get something that's sitting in somebody else's driveway, something that's sitting in someone else's bank account, something that is sitting in someone else's living room, or office space, or even sitting on their resume, or even their relationships, and we begin to envy those sorts of things. Now, uh, before I get too far, I want to make sure I, I make this clear. Envy is not the same as Inspiration. In other words, we can notice the stuff that people have, right? That's discernment. We talked about that. But there is a difference between envy and inspiration. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians to be like me. Follow my example. Live like people who are living well. Look at the folks around you who are doing good things with their, that are living well for Jesus. They are, uh, they are managing their marriages well. They're managing their bank accounts well. They're managing their children well. There is nothing wrong with being inspired by that. That's discipleship, right? To look at how people are doing around you and be inspired by that, that's not envy. But you know it turns into envy, envy when it discourages you. When you look at the people around you and you're like... I'll never have that. I'll never have that relationship. I'll never have that thing. That's when it gets, that's when it turns to the dark side, and you're no no longer inspired by what you're seeing. You've just begun to harbor bitter envy down deep. Now, on the other side here is heavenly wisdom. While earthly wisdom says more is better, heavenly wisdom says peace is better. Peace is better because discontentment will never be satisfied with more. It will never be satisfied with more. Contentment comes from the spirit that is within. Paul teaches about contentment in Philippians. He says it this way, I'm not saying this because I am in need, but I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things Through him who gives me strength. See, contentment is not dependent on external circumstances, right? It's not a matter of whether Jesus calms the storm, it's whether or not he's calming us from the inside. And it's that sense of ease because peace is a place of rest. Not satisfaction. It doesn't mean that you're satisfied with the the rotten circumstances that you're living in. It doesn't mean that. But that you've come to peace with that, that in the midst of disconcerting and uncertain times, you can have peace, a release from the fighting, from the defending that we can be peaceful whether we're in school or whether we're in homeschool, whether we are single or whether we are married, whether we are under a Biden administration or a Trump administration. You're going to get one of them. It'd be all right. We'll be all right. We can have peace whichever way. None of this throws God off his game. We don't have to fight and quarrel. I love what God says in, um, the Lord says in Exodus 14, 14. He says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. You need only to be still. You know, it, it occurs to me that if God needed us to spread the gospel by fighting for him, he would have recruited and trained a bunch of warriors. If that's what he wanted, if, that's, if he needed us to be keyboard warriors, he would have trained us in that way. As a matter of fact, Peter probably would not have established a church. Peter would have established boot camps so that we were ready to march out there and whack off everybody's ears. And yet when Peter tries that in the garden, when Jesus is about to be arrested, he's, he's like, Peter, put your sword away. He doesn't even confiscate the sword. He just said, Peter, don't use it like that. You don't need that. I'll take care of it. And he heals what happens in front of him. So, have trouble choosing between these two kinds of wisdom. This is what James says to do. Number three, rely on the spirit that he causes to dwell in us. Rely on the spirit that he causes to dwell in us. Right? John 14 says, But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives, In other words, I don't take away all of the the circumstances that are bothering you, but I'm going to give you peace. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So how do we do that? How do we do that? What is the blueprint on how to choose wisdom um, from a heavenly source and rather than an earthly source? And here's the list starting in James chapter 4. Submit to God submit to God, right? And submitting to God means this, friends. It means surrender. It means surrender. And I was thinking about that as I was studying. I was like, what what does it mean for people to surrender? What does it take for uh, for an army commander to surrender? What it takes for an army commander to surrender is to recognize that he can't win. (laughs) He's beyond winning. He no longer has the strength, he no longer has the manpower, he no longer has the resources, he can't do it in his own strength. That's when you surrender. That's what it means. When we come to God and we surrender, what we're saying is, God, I can't do this. I can't do this in my own strength anymore. You know, you heard our pastor talk about the fact that at the vineyard, we don't talk about accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior because when we talk about it that way, that verbiage kind of it gets the idea that we just add Jesus onto our already really full plate that we just walked through the buffet of world of the world and filled up, and now we just add Jesus on top like a cherry. No, when we surrender, we say, we give up. We give up. We, we wave a white flag. We're like, I, I can't do it. Save me. I surrender to you. I'm done fighting. Are you done fighting this morning? Are you sick of fighting? Fighting what's happening in the world? Fighting God? Is God asking for a deeper part of your heart and you're just, I'm tired of fighting. I finally figured out I I cannot do this alone. I cannot win on my own. I need to surrender. That's submitting to God. The second thing is resist the devil. What I love about this is James not only tells you to resist the devil, he tells you what's going to happen. When you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Do you love that? You can actually affect the location of the devil. Have you ever thought of that? When you resist him, when you and I, I encourage you to do this verbally. From the time that I was a small child, I remember. I, was, I guess I was afraid of a lot of things. I used to go have to milk a cow in the dark, and it used to scare me. And I would speak out loud, you know, "Get away from me, devil!" Or what, you know, I would say it out loud, and there was a peace that came over me. And I, I've known that even into my adulthood, when I have overcome with a spirit of, fe- of fear, I, t- I tell him to get out of here. And I can feel that leave. You know what? If, if the world is the devil's parking lot, you can't kick him out of the parking lot, but you can for sure take his park in space. You can for sure get him out of your immediate territory and let him go somewhere else for a while. Resist the devil, even if you can't chase him all the way out of here yet. God's going to take care of that. The third thing is draw near. So if resisting the devil makes the devil flee from you, drawing near to God, he will draw near to you and you get closer to Him. Think about the place and the time in your life when you have felt the closest to God. Where were you? What was the environment? What was the situation? Now listen, it's not magic. You know, if you felt God the most closely when you were 13 at a church camp, you cannot get back to being 13 and you can't get back to that church camp and you can't get back to those people that were there and in the, in the environment that was there. But you can certainly understand the kinds of places where you are most receptive to God, where you are most inclined to hearing him. When it feels like he is right there with you because you are finally where you're you're ready and you're drawing near to him. That's what we need to do. If we want to be done fighting, if we want to be starting to deal with all of the stuff around us with the heavenly wisdom, we need to be able to do that. Draw near to him. And then these last few things that he lists in here really are just talking about repentance. Demonstrate Dramatic and real repentance. Wash your hands. Be done with the evil that you've been doing. Purify your hearts. Right. Change your attitude as well as your actions. Grieve, weep, and wail. You know what that means? Have you ever told a child? Tell tell them you're sorry. You know what I mean? When my grandchildren are fussing, I'm I'm inclined to do that. Tell them you're sorry. And you know what? You can tell when they're not really sorry. Right? They say it, but they don't mean it. And he's saying no. He's like, grieve, weep, and repent genuinely. Genuinely, joy to sorrow, laughter to mourning. I Mean it. Show remorse about what you have done. If you're really done fighting, if, you're, if you really mean it, let that be visible. Humble yourself and let him elevate us, not selfish ambition. Because here's the deal. Last point. Our God is a jealous God. Our God is a jealous God. I love what he says up there about how he um, is jealously longing for the spirit within us. And, it, and he gives it away when he starts talking about adultery. When he says, you adulterous people, actually it's James saying that, but he's following a theme that God has used throughout all of the old prophets, right? Adultery is, is where you understand jealousy probably as well as anything. If you have ever been cheated on, Maybe, you know, if you were only cheated on in high school or middle school, that's one thing. But if you have been cheated on in a marriage, if you have, if you have pledged yourself and given a covenant before God and man to someone and had someone betray you in that way, there is a jealousy that goes on in, in that situation. If that is you, I want you to know that God gets you. He gets that jealousy because that's how he describes his affection for us that he is a jealous God. Exodus 34, 14 says, For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. He jealously longs for the Spirit that is in us. You know, he is jealous for our affection. And he's not interested in a one-night stand. He's not interested in a covenant that no longer means anything for you. He wants to rekindle the passion that we once had for God. He is jealous for his spirit that he deposited in us when we first believe. You know, folks, COVID has been tough on us in a lot of ways. I feel like COVID has been tough on us in terms of of rhythm in our spiritual lives. You know, it's so easy to get a little lazy, get out of the habit of meeting God regularly. You know, uh, even, even for those of us online, you know, it was so fun to watch online at, at first. Well, maybe for some of you, if we were on the screen, it was not fun. But if you, if you were sitting there watching, you were just like, oh, this is great. I can have my coffee and, and, you know, wear my comfy clothes. And, you know, and it was so great at first. But then it's easy to not show up on time, even to your couch and and then it was easy to start multitasking, because you know, we really have a lot of laundry to do on doing. It. Do you know what I'm saying? I think God is jealous for that affection, for for our, our single-minded affection for him. Because folks, there is a battle going on within. There is a battle. There is a battle for us to follow the wisdom of the world or to follow the wisdom from heaven. And when we lean on the wisdom of the world for our goals of more and better, we will find ourselves increasingly discontent, increasingly in strife and fights and quarrels. And trust me, it'll never be enough. There will never be enough for you. I'll never forget a little old lady that um, died a few years ago. And um, I remember talking to her toward the end of her life. She was very well situated financially. And I don't know why finances came up, but she told me one time, she goes, you know, it's never enough. It's never enough. And I'm like, what else do you want? You know, I mean, how many more years you got? You know, she says, never enough. That's the, that's the wisdom of the world is that you'll never have enough to survive, to be there. But when we rely on the Holy Spirit for our wisdom, we will find ourselves less bothered by the turmoil around us. Folks, the, the, the waves may not go away but we will be secure in the boat. We can be secure in the boat. I don't know where the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you this morning. I felt so strongly about the idea that there are people here who are really tired of fighting and you really need to surrender. Maybe you've never surrendered to Jesus at all and you know it's time to give your life to Jesus in a very real way. And here's what that means. What that means is that you recognize that you can't do this on your own. That you'll always have this war within you and that you need Jesus in your life. You know that your sins separate you from God. And God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. To forgive us of those sins. And all we have to do is receive that. Surrender and receive and believe that he forgave those sins for us. And that's it. And you live for him. If you have Never done that this morning. I encourage you to invite God into your life. Surrender today. And if you do that, please go out to the prayer stations and let somebody know that you did that. Report that to someone so that they can, first of all, rejoice with you, but also help guide you in what your your walk with Jesus will look like after that. Some of us have been walking with God for a long time, but we are still fighting. We're still fighting, and we're mad half, of our t- half the time, and it's really nothing out here. It's really this inner discontent that we just can't seem to get, get settled, and we'd love that secret of contentment. If that's you this morning, I invite you to go and get some prayer. Let's come to our feet. This is how we're going to close this, this uh, service out. Those of you who are online, there is a prayer chat button at the bottom of the page, a little green button, and there is a person on the other side of that who is anxious to pray with you as well if you are just done and tired this morning. We have people standing out there in the in the commons area, so anytime during this final song, let's just do some business with God this morning.